Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds and today I'm here with Stephen James, uh, storyteller extraordinaire. Stephen's the best-selling author of the Bowers File series, one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, he's also authored a number of books on writing, on the art of writing, uh, story Trump Structure um, is one of your books, but your latest one focuses on a different kind of storytelling, storytelling within public speaking. You wrote it with Tom Morrissey. It's called The Art of the Tale. Engage your audience, elevate your organization, and share your message through storytelling. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me here. Glad yeah, to be I'm here. really I'm really excited about this book because it's, it's something different than what you've done before. So just by way of introduction, um, what is this book's focus and how is it different than your previous books on storytelling? Well, my previous books have really focused, uh, for the most part, on writing, um, um, using story at the base of either fiction or nonfiction, even memoir. But but this book really focuses on the art of telling a story orally. Uh, and uh, so it was fascinating to meet up with my friend uh, Tom Morrissey, as you mentioned. He's a world-renowned speechwriter. And so I thought with my background telling stories and his writing speeches, maybe we could put together a unique perspective on the art of storytelling. And so uh, that was kind of the impetus for the art of the tale. And uh, I've really, it's been fascinating because I've really rethought over the last two years as we worked on the book, what I think lies at the heart of all great stories. And it isn't what I thought. So it's been a, it's been an, a fun and fascinating journey. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about um, how like, how did you meet Tom? How did you guys come together and decide this is something that isn't being talked about enough or it's something that, that the two of you in particular, your voices together are going to make something unique and different that people can learn from? I think we met at a writer's conference and ran into each other again at a writer's digest and film conference out in L.A. and in any case, we we got to know each other a little bit through some of these events, some of these different conferences, and uh, just kind of became friends. And then as I was debating the idea of writing a, a book on, on the craft of telling stories, I was like, I wonder if he'd be interested. So as it turns out, he's currently working at Disney. So I went down a couple of years ago to Disney, and we spent the day wandering around uh, the Disney parks brainstorming ideas for the story. And so it actually kind of had its, um, uh, I guess, genesis standing in the line for uh, the roller coasters over there at Disney is kind of, I don't know if we outlined it, but at least we planned out who's going to do which chapters there uh, in the Orlando sunlight. Well, it's, you know, it's long line. So you got plenty of time to I know, right? talk about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so take me through some of the lessons in the book. Uh, this starts off, what, what am I going to learn when I read this book? I think that, I think that one of the things this book approaches a little bit differently and uniquely is the idea of what is a story? A story is not just a list of things that happen. It's not just a list of things that happen in three acts, first act, second act, third act, but we really unpack the six aspects of all great stories and sort of look at examples of stories from our lives from speeches that tom's given and say here are 
the places that these six aspects or six elements of the story appear and how you can, when you tell a story, really think through how to approach it from, from the perspective of having all six. And then if you do that, you can elevate the story that you're, that you're telling. Mm -hmm. um, so I can talk through them really quickly. Uh, basically, the first few are not, I'll say them and you'll be like, well, of course, that seems super obvious, like character. Yeah, a story needs a character. Of course, that seems super obvious. Um, but then also a setting and time and place, geotemporal. So settings and not just a location, but it's a when and where. So you're like, okay, well, that seems reasonable too. But then a lot of people will say the next thing a, a story needs is a plot, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think the next thing a story needs is a struggle. Like you can have a list of things that happen, but without a struggle, you don't have a story. You just have an account, a report maybe. Um, and so you need a struggle to have a story. And the, the fourth is a pursuit where the character wants something, tries to get it, things get in the way. That's where the struggle comes from. So you can actually have a story that just has those four, character, setting, struggle, pursuit, but it won't necessarily be a great story. It can be predictable. You're like, oh, I think I know where this is going to go. And it goes there. So for a story really to be elevated, it needs what I call a pivot. Pivot is where there's a moment where things you expect them to go in one direction, but they don't. They change, they alter into a new direction. But when it happens, you're like, that, that totally makes sense. Some people might say it's a twist, but I really look at it as a, as a pivot is every, every scene or every story would have unexpected and inevitable both and finally payoff payoff is where if it's a funny story we laugh it's a heartwarming story it really impacts us so it's not just the same as a theme but it's more like the overall impact of the story so to have a great story i really emphasize for people to find the pivot locate that moment at which all seems lost or all and then how does it how does it pivot toward the ending that's unforgettable um, in a way that's unexpected we don't see, but when we see it, we appreciate it. That's kind of the secret to the framework of the stories that we talk about in the book. Then we talk about performance, uh, techniques, how to write stories like a speechwriter transformative ideas for shaping messages, telling stories, personal stories, but it's kind of rooted in this new idea of what makes a story work. Mm -hmm. I think you said in the introduction that in writing this book, uh, you kind of changed your idea of like what made a story. What, what were the changes yeah. that you personally made as you were working through these elements? Well, honestly, I never really thought of the pivot and the payoff as being so vital to stories. I think a lot of uh, natural storytellers and authors, screenwriters, and so on will include this pivot. Um, but without it, you just have too predictable of a story. So when I was telling um, you know, stories and when I was teaching about writing and storytelling over the years, I would emphasize things like struggle, discovery, um, things like escalation and tension and all of these things. But I never really landed on the pivot until I started working on the art of detail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So we're talking about oral storytelling. I'm seeing a lot. I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, uh, so I'm familiar with public speaking. I have seen a lot of public speakers and I've seen really good public speakers and I've seen some public speakers that not, nah, not so good. And it, it's, I have seen both use story. So using story doesn't just automatically make you good at uh, public speaking. Um, there's there's ways in which story can be very awkwardly thrown into uh, speech, ways that it can be very well integrated into the theme or the topic of whatever speaking. When, when we're talking about uh, putting together a speech, which is you know generally you're given a topic, and you're given a time frame. How do you source your stories, or how do you ensure the way in which you're telling the story seems natural to the context and to the topic that you're called to speak on? Well, that's a good question. It brings up two um, thoughts in my mind. Number one is what lies at the heart of a delivery of a story. So there are really four factors. One is the storyteller himself his gifts, abilities, and so on, or herself. Um, second is the audience, their familiarity with the story, their preparation to hear it, and so on. So I think that storytellers should always prepare with the audience in mind. Um, the third is the story itself. What's the mood? What's the pace? And all of those factors. And the finally is what you just mentioned, the social context or the setting, where it occurs. So those four things should have impact and affect the delivery of the story. Um, and, and if you leave any one of them out, then you end up with a story that might fall flat. Now, the other part of the question um, has to do with uh, like a, a full talk. How do you shape a full talk? And in the book, um, The Art of the Tale, I actually talk through what I call like the Kung Fu lesson or approach to public speaking. And and so it has like a number of different things. Let's say you're giving a talk. Well, one of the things you want to do is grab them by the throat. Okay. So like get their attention early on. Um, and the second thing is tickle them in the funny bone. Like we love humor. It needs to be appropriate, not sarcastic. It cuts down people like that. But instead we want to grab your attention, want to allow you to smile and laugh, have a um, a moment of lightheartedness. We also want to touch you in the head by appealing to intellect. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I was like, I know it's violent, but punch him in the gut with the truth. Like tell truth. Like don't be afraid of telling the truth. I mean, truth's what we long for, we need, even though it's not always comfortable to hear. And so and then touch him in the heart, you know, with uh, emotion and let him show some backbone uh, by applying the lesson in their lives. So if you can remember some of those things, it's like use surprise, use humor, you appeal to intellect, use emotion, appeal to will. And, and if you structure a talk around sort of this movement, um, usually you can create a good structure for, for that message. Now, there are lots of other ones we talk about in the book, different ways to do a message and stuff. But that's one that I feel like is pretty easy to remember is to just think about some Kung Fu lesson and it'll, it'll help you remember those different aspects of the of the talk you might be giving. Mm -hmm. when, when I was reading through the book, one of the things that I think, you know, when I'm 
reading it in terms of, you know, how can I improve in my public speaking? Um, and then looking back at maybe my public speaking ability five years ago or 10 years ago and seeing how have I improved since then? Like, did I, you know, when I, when I was looking at some things and I'm like, okay, I, I do that. I've implemented that. I follow that. And then, and then thinking about, did I do those things in the past? You know, how have I evolved as a storyteller, as a speaker uh, over time? And the the thing that, that stood out to me that I do better now than when I first started, and that's probably true for a lot of people, is the the interplay between the speakers and the listeners. Uh, because if you've not done public speaking before, then you're not attuned to, to what speaking in front of a crowd is going to be like, uh, or you could have in, you have small audiences and those are much different contexts than larger audiences mm. or audiences that you're familiar with different than audiences that you aren't familiar with, or even just your setting. If your setting is different, then those things change. What are some ways when you're when you're public speaking that you can be be comfortable with the audience um, to make yourself because I feel like if you whatever your whatever speech you're giving whatever topic it is whatever story you're telling if you don't feel comfortable sitting, standing up in front of people you're not going to do a a great job most likely of communicating whatever it is that you're trying to communicate. So when it comes to that relationship between the the person speaking and the audience, you know, how do you make yourself comfortable and kind of develop that relationship that for this time period, I'm going to be standing up here and 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 trying to communicate whatever this information is to you? Well, I mean, one a simple thing is to, um, you know, find out whatever you can about the audience beforehand, and, you know, and then don't try to be funny or try to like, there's nothing less funny than someone trying to be funny. So that's why I like to say, okay, get up and you might use something surprising where people are like, I wonder where he's going with this. Never insult your audience. Never say you guys are not very good listeners or anything like that. That'll undermine. Think about the social context. You know, basically some converse, some communication happens in more of a conversation like we're having. And some of it happens more in a performance, like if you went to go see a one-person play or something like that. So in a conversation, you, all, you don't always know what you're going to say or who's going to speak next or where things will exactly go. And if one person pauses in the middle of the conversation, the other guy's like, not usually thinking, huh, he forgot his lines. But if you went to go see a show and they pause in the middle, you'd be like, oh, this guy forgot his lines. So we have different expectations of who should speak and when. And, and so understanding what do people expect out of this presentation? Do they expect it to be a conversation or do they expect it to be a, more on the performance end? And then um, finding out where you're most comfortable on that continuum and trying to align it with the expectations um, of the listeners. And then the last thing that just comes to mind is really just being receptive to the um, listeners and showing confidence. I mean, one of the most um, attractive things to us when a speaker gets on stage is just that they have poise. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're, they're not pretending to be better than they are or impressive. They're just present. And we like that. We want that. We want confidence in the speakers that we have before us. 
And if they have poison confidence, it'll usually draw us in. And if they have a warm sense of spontaneity and receptivity to the audience, very often that will um, that will really help to break the ice, even if it's an unfamiliar group. Mm-hmm. There, uh, there were, there's a point in the book, I think this is in a chapter that Tom wrote, where he was talking about really ending your time strong and uh, talked about the the problem with the Q&A sessions yeah. being at the end of, of a speech is that it's sort of just sort of, there's no, there's no great way of, of ending that on a strong note usually because of it being so unpredictable of, of, of where can that go. Um, so, you, so you might be in a context where you, you want that, that interplay, you want that back and forth. How do you then still have that strong ending that you're hoping for? Usually if I do a Q and a, I'll say beforehand, um, you know, I'll take, you know, 10 minutes and we'll address your questions. And then I'd like to close up with a few, uh, closing comments or, or let me just uh, close up, you know, our time together with a little story or something like that. So that. So that then after the q a i can then be, be the one in kind of control of how things will end and you know some people in a q a they want to hear themselves speak sometimes they'll ask questions that you know aren't appropriate or whatever it might be and and so what happens then is you're no longer in control of the of the conversation uh, of the story or of the presentation and so yeah i like to close with uh with a little story of my own Mm-hmm. I remember one of the one of the first sermons that I ever preached. I was um, I had just started at this church, and they had told me, uh, you, you know, aim for a, a forty minute message, which was pr- pretty long as far as things go, especially when you're you know just out of seminary. And and so I, I prepared a forty minute message, and I preached it in about twenty eight and a half minutes because uh, you know knew to everything. And so we you know we we finish, we, we get done. And the the uh, the worship leader comes up and looks at the clock, and he was like, "Well, we saw some time left, so if you, anyone has any questions, I'm sure Josh would love to answer them for you." And I was like, <laughs> "So uh, fortunately, or unfor- I don't know, I, I think it was fortunately that um, no one really did have a question in, in that uh-huh. moment because I don't know that I would have been prepared uh, for the answer." Um, but that was one of those examples. It's like, well, you know, I I, I didn't have control over that uh, <laughs> whatsoever. And, and, you know, maybe later on, especially as I kind of gain that rapport with the congregation, you know, any questions you have, you can come, you can come talk to me after the service. Uh, you can email me, uh, you can do whatever, but yeah, it's quite of a, quite a, a first, first week of the first week of being integrated into the church was like, okay, well, that was, that was different. Wasn't expecting that. Um, what are, what are some common mistakes that you see public speakers making, uh, either just in general or in specific when they're trying to, to integrate a story into their, into their speaking. Well, one of the things we really emphasize in the book is not necessarily, you're not trying to memorize a story, but internalize it so that you really get to know the story, um, but that you're able to take different routes through it, depending on how the context goes and how the setting is and how the audience responds and all of these things. So, so one thing that I've noticed is, actually um, being um, underprepared where you're not really ready to tell or being um, not responsive enough so that you've prepared, like you've memorized it, which is fine, I guess. But then suddenly you'll get to a spot where you're like, 
I don't remember what I'm supposed to say next. And then it's like super awkward for everyone because you're standing there and they think, oh, he doesn't know what he's supposed to say. So, so the, one of the other com- um, common mistakes that people make is, is going too long. Really? Most people don't complain if you're a few minutes short. That's fantastic. They're kind of like, oh, okay, that was nice. Got extra time. But um, but if you go over your time, if you would have done your fifth 40 minute talk <laughs> in 50 minutes, then you would have heard from people. So, um, so yeah, being prepared um, is, is super important. I like to tell people, write your stories with your mouth. Instead of writing them out on a page and trying to memorize that, write them aloud as you practice them. And you kind of, okay, well, I could use that in my story. Maybe make a little note here and there, but uh, really write them and practice them allowed um so you know just by following a few of those steps you can really elevate you know the stories that you're telling and um, the presentations that you're giving so what i'm what i'm hearing from you is that there is a manner in which you can come across as being too polished too precise and it kind of you end up lacking authenticity because of that yeah, audiences really want to feel like you're talking specifically to them. Like they don't love it if you get up there and you start going through your thing the same way exactly word for word that you've done, you know, at a hundred other conferences. Or they're like, well, literally I'm sitting right here, just you know, talk to me. So we really do appreciate the personalized nature of presentations when they have that bit of spontaneity and so on. But we also do want people to be prepared. You know, we want, okay, this guy put in his work and he prepared his story, his message and so on. So, um, so yeah, if you just recite your, your lines, it usually will not feel as authentic and genuine as if you just kind of speak it uh, more naturally from the heart. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a, a, a speaker, a, a itinerant evangelist. I won't, I won't, say his name um but after after some time you know I, you, you listen to enough of, of of his stuff at different places that he's spoken and you listen to all of them and eventually you realize you know and part of it is because you speak so often you have to repeat yourself uh-huh. um but there was a sense of like okay um i just from the beats of his storytelling and of his public speaking i could almost predict what story what anecdote what quote from you know a certain author was going to come next in his speaking simply because i had heard it so often um so so obviously there are some ways in which we will recycle material we will reuse material um how do we find that balance between saying what is within our expertise and like what is the correct answer and what is going to make an impact with also keeping the material fresh and making sure the audience isn't just rehearing something that they've heard time and time again. I mean, one of the things we mentioned in the book is we say never tell the same story twice. And people say, what? Never, I can never tell the same story again. Well, we mean, what we mean is never exactly the same way every time you tell it. So, so that you're prepared, you have the story, but you're not trying to do it the same way you did it the, the previous event. So you really have that sense of spontaneity and receptivity to the story. So great storytellers tend to do that. They have preparation, they have 
receptivity, responsiveness, and spontaneity, and they kind of mix all these together when they tell their story. So that if the audience really likes something you said, they might kind of call back to that later on. And the audience is like, oh yeah, that we thought that was funny earlier. And he brought it back again. Um, or they might say, okay, wait, this isn't working. I'm going to like cut to the, uh, cut to the chase and we're going to move on to another event or another story or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that takes some practice, but the more prepared you are, and the, when you prepare, we always encourage you to prepare, you know, in different ways. So when I was in high school, I had a basketball coach who always had this saying, practice makes, and most people would say perfect, but that's not what he said. He said, practice makes permanent. And so if, if you practice the story the exact same way every single time, that's how you'll probably remember it permanently. But if you can take a story and practice it a variety of different ways, maybe one time you go on a walk and you speak it aloud, another time you just sit down and maybe tell it as if you were telling it to a little kid or maybe stand up and and tell it as if it were to a big audience. Each time through, you're sort of brainstorming uh, what might work in that setting. And then you're collecting those ideas so that when you actually do tell it to the live audience, you're able to tap into each of those different aspects of the preparation that you put into it near near the end of the book uh there's a there's a quote that i wrote down it says we believe the most effective speeches contain stories and the least effective stories contain speeches uh can you can you elaborate on that for me well the way that we really think and process remember things is really through stories uh, people who've studied uh, memory kind of look at um you know, how do we remember things? Why do we remember them? And all of this. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that we, we remember are in the construct of a story. And so we really feel like if you're trying to get just information out there, you could send a memo, that's fine. And people can read the memo or whatever. But if you want to build relationships, the best way is through telling a story um, as part of your presentation or your speech. And when we say the best stories don't contain speeches we mean like stories contain a lot of uh, they all you know come to us with a certain moral fabric okay so or in a certain moral universe and if i'm telling a story and suddenly one character stops to give a speech or you know sermon let's say to another character nothing wrong with sermons but but what we have is like if i'm going to a presentation and someone gets on their soapbox and tells me that i'm supposed to think this way or do this thing I tend to draw back and and not be as apt to do that. And so one of the things we say in the book is to never tell someone what they already know in a way they already expect. So if you're telling something to someone that's, that's, it's new information. Yeah. You could explain it. And, and, and sometimes a story works best for that or an anecdote, but sometimes if it's something they already know, like uh, I tell you example of this one speaker talking about the importance of self-control he's up in front and there's 600 people here and he's like, you should show self-control or whatever. And we're like, okay, like we get that. Well, we know that like you're, you're having no impact. And so by telling people what they already know in a way they already expect, you're too predictable. So stories allow us to tell people things that they already know, but do it in a way they didn't expect. And at the end of the story, we can be like, wow, that was impactful. I can give you a quick example. So 
Um, there was um, a man, this is an old teaching story from uh, the Middle East. So there was a man who was really like, wished people would show more attention and that they would bring him food and just pay him attention and like this. And so one day he goes in the jungle and he sees this fox with no legs. He's like, that's strange. I've never seen that before. And all of a sudden this tiger finishes his meal and drags over some meat and leaves it for the fox. And so the guy's like, that's strange. I wonder if that'll happen again. So the next day he goes out and he sees the fox with no legs. And then he sees the tiger finish it eating and brings the meat over and leaves it for the fox. So this guy's like, I think I know what I need to do. I think I know what this means. So he goes home and he waits for someone to bring him some food. He waits for someone to show up and, and show him some attention. Nobody comes. And finally, he's starving. He's on death's door. And he hears this voice. The voice of God speaks to him and says, don't you even understand? You were supposed to be the tiger. See, we might all know that we should show compassion to others. It's not all about us. And one of the best ways is to serve other people to find meaning in our lives. And I could tell people that and they'd be like, okay, whatever. But if you tell them the story about be the tiger, all of a sudden it can have a deeper impact. I am still here. I don't know what my video is doing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so when, when you tell a story like that, it has a character in the setting. It has the, um, the struggle, the pursuit, the pivot and the payoff, all those things we talked about earlier. And it's not telling someone what they already know in a way they expect, but it's telling it to them in a way they didn't anticipate. All right. Well, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I don't know what my video is doing, uh, but we'll just wrap things up with the last question. Um, and I want to move on to what you have coming next, because you have a book coming out, I think the beginning of next year, spring of next year called Broker of Lies. I know it's still a ways out, but what can you tell me about that book? Well, I am excited about Broker of Lies. It's my first new novel in a new series in, in a number of years. And uh, so I'm working on the second book in the series right now, but it has to do with um, uh, a gentleman who works for the government and he is a redactor. So he basically knows all of the Department of Defense secrets. And he has to decide which ones he can and, and cannot release. And so from there, things just go crazy. He's got to stop a terrorist attack and he ends up on the run and, and all kinds of uh, fascinating characters show up. So it, it becomes just a really fun ride, sort of an espionage story. And um, and I, I had a ton of fun writing it. And I'm looking forward to he hearing what readers have to say once the Broker of Lies book comes out. Yeah, well, I'm always excited for a Stephen James book. I'm I'm thrilled to hear about it. Uh, so again, the book is The Art of the Tale, uh, written by Stephen James, Tom Morrissey. If you are in public speaking in any form or fashion, this is a book that you want to pick up. Um, Pastors, uh, this is a book that's going to help you be a, a better preacher. Um, if you speak in any corporate environment, uh, just really, if you're ever talking to more than one person, or even if you're just only talking to one person at a time, <laughs> uh, this is a book that's going to help you communicate better. So, uh, Stephen, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Um, I really appreciate it. And I think it's going to help me in all of my future endeavors as well. 
Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate the chance to be here and best wishes to you and all of your listeners.